Book of Romans. Book of Romans. My granddaughter asked me last night, how long have you been in the Book of Romans? I told her to mind her own business. She said, Papa, Papa, it seems like a really long time. So I began to justify myself and tell her how long we had been in the book of Isaiah, how long it took us to go through other books of the Bible, and that we were going almost too fast through the book of Romans. And so Romans uh, chapter 8, we're in that section, getting closer to the end of this section of uh, verses 26 to 30. We're looking at a series titled right now, uh, We're on Our Way. And uh, that is so true for the believer. We are on our way. And as a believer, we are to be doing everything in that area of discipleship as believers. Remember, salvation comes to you. Listen, salvation comes to you one time. Uh, When I say one time, I mean not the offer of salvation. God called out to you and I many times before we made the decision to accept Christ. But the moment you accept Christ, that's the first step that you make. Maybe you pray Uh, that prayer to accept Christ in a hotel room. You read a Gideon Bible and you give your life to Christ. Maybe it's at a crusade. Maybe it's a radio. Maybe whatever it is. And um, once you make that step to say, Jesus, I believe that you are the one the Bible speaks about. You are the Messiah of the world. You died on the cross and rose again from the grave for me. I receive you and I ask you to forgive me of all my sins and make me your child by your righteousness. And when you pray that prayer, that's done. You and I, growing up spiritually, might waver back and forth. We'll doubt our sincerity. Did we really mean it? The Bible makes it clear Satan will come and whisper things in our ears to cast doubts. But then we have to default to what did we do and would we do it again? That's an important thing right now. Listen, what did you do then? I accepted Christ. Let me ask you, would you do it again? And you would say yes. That's because that was a one-time awesome event where the Holy Spirit sealed you until the day of redemption. That is a sure work of God. And you can revel in that. You can take great courage in that. But from that moment on, what do you do? Well, that's what Paul's been teaching the believers in Rome. Is that it is a constant daily moment-by-moment walk of discipleship with Christ. When we say that we're on our way, that is we're on our way home. We're on our way home to a home we've never been to, but we long to go there. We can't wait to go there. And as we've been learning, we're groaning to get there. Nature's groaning, we're groaning, and we've learned that even the Holy Spirit groans. Romans chapter 8, I'll begin in verse 26. If you'll pick it up in the odd number verses. Likewise, the Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, also Helps our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. But, thank God for that, the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the hearts knows the mind that does. He makes intercession for his saints according to the will of God. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. And if that's not enough, he says, moreover, (laughs) whom he predestined, these he also called, and whom he called, These he also justified, and whom he justified, these he also, listen, past tense, glorified. I know you don't feel like it this morning, but according to the mathematics of God and his theology, you are already glorified. We're just on our way for you and I ultimately realizing that when we stand in his presence. And I hope that comes today. I hope Christ comes back today. If if that scares you, that means you're not ready. Uh, but uh, listen, Father, we pray that by the working of your Holy Spirit, what a great, great moment today. We get to be more and more introduced to the one who's been with us for nearly 2,000 years, the Holy Spirit, dispatched from heaven above by Jesus himself, sent to us to be the one that would cause us to experience this great, great work of God in our lives, this work of sanctification. Thank you, Lord. You didn't save us and then just put us in a, in a waiting room. You've saved us and you've equipped us 
to go out into the world and to be lights and shining armor. So, Father, God, we pray now that your spirit would speak to us. We ask in Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Church, you can be seated. It is a fact the church of God is a benefit by constantly the work of God. The church is to be God's instrument, God's hand. And um, yes, it's obvious that God could get whatever he wanted done, done immediately if he did it himself. It's just like you trying to mow your lawn and you've got a three-year-old. You can get it done in a moment, but then your three-year-old wants to help you and it's going to take you an hour and a half to get it all done. God could get his work done in a moment. But isn't it amazing? In the divine plan of God, he's included you and I as believers to enter into that labor that he's invited us uh, to partake of. It's, it's, a, it's remarkable to me that God would use us at all. And I always remind our pastors on staff how privileged and blessed we are to be pastors called by God out of all of those who have been born in humanity. Think about it. From Adam and Eve to today, billions and billions of people have been born. And then here, here we are, just a little handful of pastors on staff here that have been called to take care, love on, see to it that you're doing well with Jesus. It's such a humbling thing. It's remarkable. But the work of God is for the work of the church, and that is for the work of every a believer in our lives. Uh, Warren Wiersbe said a long time ago in one of his great books, he said that God will never prostitute the minister for the ministry. And I like that. God will never destroy your life to get his job done. But as you yield to him, God winds up using you. Yes, You get physically exhausted, but that's okay because you get spiritually pumped up. And God's way is absolutely beautiful. Philippians chapter 2, verses uh, 12 to 13 says this. Listen carefully. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Work out your own salvation. Apply yourself to the fact that you're saved. Do it with fear and trembling. The word means with awe and reverence, knowing that we will give an account. It doesn't mean work out your own salvation because that's how you get saved. It means now that you're saved, move in the awe and reverence of God. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to do for his good pleasure. I love verse 13. Just when verse 12 scares you to death, verse 13 says, but don't worry about it. I'm the one working in you. And so for that... You know, it's, it's, it's blatantly right there in, uh, before your face, but it, it seems to be a secret and it shouldn't be. And that is, Lord God, then, then if, that's the, if that's the way you do things, then you do all of this by your spirit's work in my life. Uh, you do whatever you want to do, God. Uh, but I'm yielding to you. I'm going to submit to you. And every single one of us as believers... The Holy Spirit will see to it in your life that we are in hot pursuit of the nearness of God in our lives. And the work of the Holy Spirit is such a great comfort. Remember, I told you that's one of his names in the Bible, the parakletos, the the comforter, the one who comes alongside you. And we know from Jesus, as we'll see in a moment again, that he's the one that dwells within us. But it's a wonderful thing to be, listen, to be possessed by the Holy Spirit in life. You say, possessed, that's kind of scary. Yeah, that's if you just watch scary programs. No, you want to be possessed by the Holy Spirit. You want him to animate you. You want him to control you. You want him to be the governor of your life. And so the beautiful thing is, is that God at work in you is the spirit of God and you experience him by this nearness, by this interaction. Genesis chapter 3, verse 8, the Bible says, And they, that is Adam and Eve, heard the sound. Listen to this. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. The best we can do is imagine the nearness of God. Imagine what they experienced, Adam and Eve, before they fell, before they went into sin. That they heard the sound of God. What does that sound like? Pretend for a moment I'm teaching the the fifth Uh, five-year-olds in class. When you're teaching children's ministry, it's amazing. You cannot get away with quoting that verse and moving on because a little hand will pop up and say, what did he sound like? (laughs) 
What did that look like? If God's walking through the garden, is it like this? Or did his feet touch the ground? You think about that for a moment. We have no idea what that was like. But Adam and Eve knew God so close and so well and so perfectly that when they heard the sound of him, that was a common thing. Unfortunately, the Bible tells us when they had sinned, all of a sudden the sound of him walking in the garden in the cool of the day was not a happy sound. It's a sad day when things are blessed and precious in our lives. Listen, I'm going somewhere with this. When things are innocent, as they ought to be, and then evil comes in and pollutes it from the outside. When somebody introduces something that taints and makes ugly the things that God has made beautiful. You know, God's greatly offended at that. You're not the only one offended at it. God is offended at that. And um, we've been standing, you've been standing, this community's been standing against pornography in the public school and This last Thursday, thank you for showing up because they voted three to two to reject pornography. And uh, yeah, I want to, I would have loved to have clapped even uh, louder and longer, but the tragedy is there's two people on the school board that are weirdos. They have no problem apparently with the offending of innocence. And all of that comes from Adam and Eve's rebellion against God. And God in his great redemptive work introduces to us in his salvation and sanctification of the believer, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Church, remember, just quickly, last time, way back in verse 23, regarding we're on our way, is that we saw the heartbeat of heaven. Heartbeat of heaven. Number two, in verses 20 to 20, uh, 24 and 25, we saw that there's a hope of heaven. And then we left off with this argument last time, and that is the help of heaven. And the help of heaven is none other than the Holy Spirit. And it says in verse 26, likewise, the Spirit, that is the Holy Spirit, also helps. Remember what that word means? He comes alongside and he picks up one end of the plank. Remember how we were hoping and wishing that he picked up the entire plank? No, he picks up, the word means he picks up one part of the plank. And you and I as disciples pick up the other part of the plank. Of course, he takes the heavy end, I'm sure. But he comes alongside us to help us. He doesn't snap his finger and you do Christianity. He spirit fills you with the power of the spirit to live out Christianity. Big difference. It says for, uh, he helps us in our weaknesses for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings, sounds that have no earthly application, which cannot be uttered or understood, inarticulate technically. Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And we looked at this fact that verse 26 tells us that heaven is listening. Do you remember that? Heaven's listening. Heaven is listening. Heaven wants to hear from you. And I pointed out to you the, the, the dichotomy between the, the believer and the unbeliever. If you're a believer, heaven is listening to hear your prayer, to hear your cry, to hear your joy, to hear your worship. I said something last week. It made some people upset. And so I'll say it again. Uh, <laughs> that when we worship... Worship, proskuneo is the word, which is the root word to pray. That prayer and worship is the same thing to God. He's blessed by it. And so there are people who don't go to prayer meetings. They scarcely ever pray. And there's people that take worship as something that uh, just gives us more time to park the car. And worship should be top of the list. It should be the preeminent thing. Because worship for us is the encompassment of all things, when we witness, when we pray, when we study, when we love our husbands and our wives, when we love our community for what is good and what is right, is all an act of worship. Do you guys remember when Pixar did that cartoon 
One of the very first ones where the guy was in the little European courtyard. He had his, like his gestures hat on. He had a big drum in the front. He had all these musical instruments and he had tambourines and everything. He was a one-man music machine and he just began to move and all of these sounds and all of these incredible things came from him. And when I first saw that Pixar, I immediately thought, and I still do, of the life of the believer. When you and I move, we should be moving in an act of worship. Are you going to go to work tomorrow? It should be an act of worship. What are you doing this afternoon? It should be an act of worship. I believe it is, by the way, if we realize it or not. And so we understood this, that heaven is listening. We saw also that heaven is speaking. That's where we left off, that the Holy Spirit himself makes intercession for us. And that word intercession is this in the Greek language. It means to obviously intercede, but to make petition for or on the behalf of another. This is very encouraging people. Listen, for the believer, when we pray, God is listening. For the non-believer, God is not listening except but for one prayer. Listen up. So I'm not a Christian, but I've been praying for years. Into, Into deep space, you have been praying. According to Isaiah chapter 59, the Bible tells us that God's hand is not short that he can't save you. Neither is his ear deaf that he cannot hear you. But your sins have separated you from God so that he will not save you, nor will he hear you. That's a very terrifying verse. But when the believer comes along, the Bible tells us that when Christ forgives us of our sins, you and I are in Uh, worshipful prayer, and that's how we maintain fellowship. And that part of that great fellowship is, please mark this down, part of this great fellowship that you and I enjoy is based upon the intercession of the Holy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit, according to the Bible, is speaking to the Father constantly all about you, all about me, constantly, without ending. The word means without ending. The Spirit of God never stops talking to the Father about your life, my life. That brings me great comfort. Does that comfort you? I hope it comforts you. If you believe the Bible, that's going to comfort you. Because do you have problems? Anybody have any problems? Four of us. We're going home with the rest of you people today. In all of our problems, he comforts us. We had part of our Christian family this week. Several of our Christian family meet Jesus this week. And uh, family weeps, family cries. Of course they do. They're going to miss them. But we have to remember that their lives... Listen, they may have been sick in this world or that accident may have happened. But the fact of the matter is uh, they had just passed through the valley of the shadow of death. The moment they passed... They're in the presence of Almighty God. And every day the Holy Spirit is interceding on behalf of we the believers. Man, if you're not a Christian today, you need to change that now. Because uh, all you have is luck, right? Luck and the grace of God. Luck's a joke. I'm just... Even as a non-believer, you're existing by the grace of God. He could snap your fingers. The Bible tells us that, that those who are without God... That in due time, their foot will slip. The, book, the Bible says in the book of Isaiah that hell opens up its mouth wide to receive those that are coming into it. That's terrifying. You say, yeah, that's scary. Well, is it, is it scary enough to get you to run to the arms of Jesus? Because he loves you, but his love will not override your will. I find that uh, fascinating and sometimes at the same time frustrating. I love God but only like this much. Be honest. I'm saying this for you too, so don't even look at me like that. You love God about this much. The moment you say, God, I love you so much, it's not, listen, if we loved God so much, things would be different. We must confess that the love we have for him is genuine and honest, but it's like a candlelight compared to a raging fire. I think one of the great pleasures of heaven is being able to love God perfectly without distraction. What an amazing thing. But he prays for us and we need prayer. Apparently we need it constantly. 
Listen to what F.F. Bruce has to say. It's a long quote, but it's beautiful. Through our inarticulate groanings, now listen carefully, because there's various theologies on this, and uh, I don't want to sound like like, uh, some sort of compromiser, but I actually embrace the two prominent arguments, even though they're diametrically opposed. F.F. Bruce, the pastor of yesteryear, said, through our inarticulate groanings, either in size or utterances, we speak to God. That is a fact, no matter what your theology is. If you are of Reformed theology, or if you are Pentecostal in your theology, uh, whatever your uh, persuasion is, that first statement is a fact. Because you can groan on the inside of yourself. You can just look at the world around you and be grieved. And without saying a word, you can just be just... Or you can visit the Children's Hospital of Orange County and you see those babies that are there in the condition that they're in and you just, there's no words for that. Grieved. It also indicates that there is a prayer or spirit language that is unbound by earthly words. It may be included in this teaching that expressions, longings, pain, sufferings, aspirations coming from the spirit of our new man, that's the born again us, that has been created within us, that which wells up from inside the depths of our spirit as our prayer is offered, having now been born again by the spirit of God, we can no longer be imprisoned by human limitations. I find that powerful. Such prayer prompted by the indwelling Holy Spirit who communicates our true need. This God-ordained intercession which comes forth from us is immediately, listen, immediately heard and understood by God the Father to whom the prayer is addressed and in the name of Jesus Christ through whom the prayer is offered. God the Father is listening to the Holy Spirit who is speaking from within us. He being transcendent of our frail human nature prays on our behalf and all God's people said, have you ever been to that place in prayer, pain, suffering, sorrow, and you don't even know what to pray. You know you should. You know you have to, but you don't know what to say. Well, whatever your theology is, if you're, if you're uh, Pentecostal or not, let's, we can agree on this. We're grieved and we groan. We're also clearly taught that the Spirit himself groans. That is the Holy Spirit. To think that he who dwells within you grieves over sin, grieves over the horrible things that we witness, we see in this life. Can you imagine? Can you imagine the the control of God? I was talking to a police officer recently and he was telling me about an investigation that he was involved in with a child molestation ring. And uh, he was telling me about it and I'm listening. And I asked him, I said, "When when you came in upon this, did you have a gun? And he said, of course I had a gun. And I said, okay. He goes, why'd you ask me that for? I said, well, you're, to me, I'm, I'm beyond impressed listening to you tell me this story, this event, this account. And it's clear why I'm not a police officer. <laughs> I mean, I'd start shooting people and then turn myself in. And I'd be smiling about it. <laughs> when you catch these people in the act, seemingly God does nothing. Oh, no, no. He's doing something. Remember, he doesn't move according to our time. God will bring justice. And Jesus said in any way, shape or form, it'd be better for a person to have never been born for that person in the day of judgment when Christ gets a hold of them. If you offend a child. Well, what about God's children? Are we not offended over the sin and the grief of this world? Of course we are. But we're reminded we're not home yet. We're on our way. But that word groaning, groanings, that word means grieving, sighing, to mourn, to bemoan, or to lament. We all know what that's like. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's a child's illness. And the word uttered, inexpressible words, words that cannot be understood by human means. There are no words 
is what it means. It means that it's too deep to express. The Spirit of God does that. It's amazing. So you, I don't, under, I don't understand it, but this all I know is what I feel, what you feel, what we go through, what you're going through right now. As a believer, the Holy Spirit inside is grieved that you are going through this. The Spirit of God turns to the Father and speaks to the Father with words that cannot be articulated. That's the Holy Spirit. I'm not talking about you jumping up and speaking in tongues. That's not what we're talking about. That's not even the same thing. We're talking about prayer. The context is prayer. And to think that when the Spirit of God speaks to the Father of God, it's considered prayer. You never think about that, huh? You never think about God, in a sense, praying to God. But he does for you, for me. The Bible says, now listen, 1 Corinthians 14, 14. This is good for us to know. For if I pray, says Paul the Apostle, notice every, are you guys, are you with me? You're so quiet. You hear? All right. For if I pray in a tongue, this is not the gift of tongues. You've read about that. You've heard about that. For if I pray in a tongue, Paul says, my spirit prays. The inside of me is the born again me prays. But my mind, my understanding is unfruitful. You hear that? You see that? The inside of me is praying to God. I don't know what I'm saying with my, in his case, Hebrew, Greek, Aramaic. I mean, Paul spoke so many languages. He was brilliant. But uh, I don't even speak English. I speak American. So, so... For if I pray in a tongue, an unknown language, my spirit is praying. It's my spirit praying, and it's not in American. It's not in English. How do I know that? Because he says the mind is unfruitful. The understanding is unfruitful. What is the conclusion then? Listen to what he says. I will pray with the spirit. You guys all hear that? Some of you who have a hard time with this because of your denominational background, you go, I don't like this verse. Too bad. It's in the Bible. Paul is saying, when I pray with the Spirit, notice it's, it's a lowercase s. It's not the Holy Spirit, it's His Spirit. I'm going to pray, and I'm not going to understand when I pray. And I will also, connecting statement, pray with understanding. So I will pray in English with you, and then there's times when I'll pray with groanings and with utterances that I don't know, not so much from the Holy Spirit himself, because he certainly is praying, but it could, it could be very well prompted by the Spirit, because it's my Spirit praying to him, as you see in 1 Corinthians 14. Now, this, gets, this even gets better. He says, I will sing with the Spirit, and I will also sing with understanding. When you read 1 Corinthians 14, you might be shocked to find out that... Not everyone speaks in tongues because that is something that has to have an interpretation. Notice, not a translation, an interpretation. And it has to be a statement that glorifies God and praises him. It can never be a message. Listen, Pentecostal friends, I hate to freak you out, but there are no such thing in the Bible where a message came in the sermon or a message came to you through tongues. Impossible use of the very gift. It's not given for that. It's always an utterance and there must be an interpretation so that those who are in attendance hears the interpretation. So all may give glory to God. Paul says, yeah, that's, that's fine. In fact, he even says after the third utterance, there should be no more. Did you know that? In a gathering. 1 Corinthians 12, 13, 14, read it later. Some of you have gigantic question marks on your faces. <laughs> Just go read it later. Tongues are very specific for a very specific reason. But don't confuse that gift of tongues with praying in a tongue. Simply this, praying in a language that is not of this earth is something that is personal, private. That's why Paul said, I would rather pray alone with few words I don't understand than in public where nobody understands. Say, why are you saying this? Because there's a time when you think, I should be praying. I don't even know how to pray. In that moment, don't be surprised as you sit in silence before God and you begin to just pray to him. 
that your spirit begins to pray. You don't understand what's being said, but listen up, everybody. I can spend hours in prayer for some topic and I still don't sense the victory. And how do you explain it? That five minutes alone, silently with God, praying with that spirit connection in silence, you can feel the weight lifting. I don't understand it. I hope that makes sense to you. There is no gift of prayer regarding the tongue. Tongues are for public interpretation. The prayer spirit or the prayer life of the believer is for all believers. Thank God for that. He doesn't give the gift of prayer. He gives you the ability to pray. And it's in a word or it's in a sound that is private and you don't know what it means. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25. Therefore, he also is able to save to the uttermost those who come to God. He's speaking about Christ through him since he always lives to make what? Intercession for them. Imagine, we just read a moment ago, the Holy Spirit's praying for us. Now we got Jesus praying for us. For such a high priest was fitting for us. He's exactly what we need. He's holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners and has become higher than the heavens. Thank God that today we have a great high priest in heaven. And he's talking to the Father. Isn't the great? The Spirit's speaking to the Father about me. And the Son is speaking to the Father about me. In the, in, the, in the face of two or three witnesses, the truth shall be established. It's like, oh, thank you, God. He looks on the inside of you. He knows you. John chapter 10, verse 28. Jesus said, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. He's speaking to his Father. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. That's Jesus speaking to the Father. Again, John chapter 17, verses 2 and 3. As you have given him authority over all flesh, that he also give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom he has sent. Isn't it interesting that Jesus is praying in John 17 to the Father in the third person? Did you catch that? He's praying. He's praying to the Father. But then at the end it says, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. Remarkable. John 16, verse 20, uh, John 16, verse 12. John 16, 12. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. This is before he leaves back to heaven. However, when he, the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. This is the Holy Spirit who dwells in you. John 16, verse 5. But now I go away to him who sent me, and none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, did he depart? Remember the book of Acts tells us that as they were talking to him, he just began to lift off from the earth and was ascended into the heavens and received up in the glory of God. He says, if I depart from you, I will send him to you. One of the overwhelming facts, truths, undeniable realities that I know Jesus Christ rose again from the dead. I mean, think about it. I know he was crucified. Yes, the Bible says so. I believe he rose again from the dead. I know this. Yes, the Bible says so. But how do I know that? I wasn't there. Somebody who was there dwells within me. And when you think about that reality for a moment, that God would inhabit you by the Holy Spirit, You know, Jesus said in worship, I don't know how, I don't know what I would do if I didn't have Jesus. I, I know what she would do. She would do the same thing that I did. And she, we did what many people do today is you just, you just, <laughs> frankly, you're just a denier. You look around at all of the mischief of this world and you just grab another drink. You, you're denying 
Look, I'm not calling you out about being a drunk or an alcoholic or a drug addict. I'm not calling you out for that. If I didn't have Jesus, I'd probably be right with you, and that's no joke. But how do I express to you that he has the ability to move inside of you and fill up every spot that he takes possession of your life? Are we frail? Oh, totally. All the more, though, we look at our frailties and we rejoice in them because when we're weak... (laughs) So the doctor says, you know, you got six months to live, right? What does that mean to the believer? Well, you got six months to finish things off. You got six months to up your game. There's no losing equation for the believer because the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And he answers us. Heaven is answering What a tremendous truth this is. Heaven is answering. The Bible says in verse 27, now he who searches the hearts, I love this. (laughs) He who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the spirit is. I want everybody to look at that for a moment. I'm sorry, I'm kind of pumped up, excited about this. Can I just read this to you? Look, Look to the screens or look at your Bible. Now he, that's God, who searches the hearts, whose hearts? Our hearts knows what the mind of the spirit is. What an unusual statement to make. Do you get the connection? Translation, leave it on the screen. Let me put it this way. God looks down from heaven right past your skin and bone. And he looks inside your mind and he looks inside your soul. And he knows exactly He knows exactly what the Spirit is saying about the one that he possesses, you. The born-again believer, sealed into the day of redemption. Isn't that glorious? Marked by God. Because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Goodness, you know what's amazing about this is it brings you so much comfort. You think about sitting back in a, in a recliner, but then as soon as you realize that, it's like, wait a minute. If this is true, God, what do you want me to do about this? And you'll say, live the life. Speak the word. Tell them about me. Get out there. Live. Do it. And we don't have to sweat about it. He does it. It's wonderful. Heaven is answering when we pray. Listen, church family, listen. When you pray and your prayer is is in alignment with the will of God, you say, how do I know that? Remember, we talked last week. Pray biblically. Pray that the, the prayer that you're offering is in line with the will of God, which is the word of God. Once you say amen, get up and blow the world away. When you know, I was at the store the other day and I saw this Satanist and he looked kind of sad. I thought about telling him about Jesus, but then I thought, maybe it's not God's will. Translation, God was telling you, there's a Satanist, go get him. Tell him about my love for him. But you know what? It didn't happen because your will was done. And so the Lord had to send, send somebody else. And sometimes I wonder if we'll be in heaven and it's like, hey, how'd that Satanist get up here? That's the guy I was going to talk to that day, but I wimped out. And then somebody's going to come along and say, don't worry about it. God called me to do it. And I did it. And there he is. And praise the Lord. It's like, oh, me. <laughs> I missed that one. Somebody has once said, maybe it was Chuck Mister years ago said that he thinks that in the day of judgment for us as believers before Christ, Uh, The wiping away of every tear has nothing to do with anything except that the wiping away of the tears when it is revealed to us the opportunities that we missed. See, we're not going to be judged by our sins. We're going to weep in heaven on the day of Christ's judgment, the Bema seat. But then he wipes those away. And I do agree with that. Because if our sin was washed away, the Bible's clear. That's not going to be the issue. So then why are we crying? 
Oh, my dad didn't make it. You won't have any memory of your dad. Oh, my, my son didn't make it. You won't have knowledge of him. He's not in the family. Then why are we crying in heaven? I think God, I think God is going to say, Jack, I wanted you to use you in this way, that way, here, there, but you, you said no, or whatever it might be. Don't be like that. How about this, everybody? And we'll press on. Is um, I'd rather get an A for trying, right? What if I, what if I, what if I think it's God and I'm not sure, but I step out and do it anyway? I'd rather get an A, trying, right? than an F for just sitting there. We need to be a little reckless, people. I don't know. I, I, did, I, I, I didn't watch this last night, but I, I watched the highlights this morning. So last night, who does this? At, last night at 10 o'clock at night, the Las Vegas Grand Prix started. I mean, don't people sleep? But I love that kind of stuff. And so I, this morning, really early, I watched some of the highlights. I was like, I, it was amazing. And, and I'm thinking, you know what? These guys, they have no idea that they are nanoseconds away from eternity. Going down the Las Vegas Strip at 221 miles an hour. And I'm thinking, these guys are side by side. Their wheels are actually hitting at a few times. And they're like this far from death. And of course, they're all like 22 years old, so they don't have it. They don't even care. <laughs> and it just it, the thought of being that close to eternity and not knowing God. And it doesn't have to be that way because, listen, my friend, you can be an absolute full-blown atheist, and so you say, we'll, we'll let you pretend that you're an atheist. But you're a God denier. You ought to get alone and say, God, are you real? You know, what's wrong with that? We're not going to follow you home. We're not going to test you. If you're an atheist right now, maybe you're watching right now by TV or by whatever means you're watching this and you're saying, I'm an atheist. Isn't it funny you've tuned into this program though? <laughs> God, makes, the God makes no accidents, right? But uh, why don't you man up or woman up? And... Uh, Go turn this program off and go in your room and just say, God, if you're real, let me know. Amen. Can you pray that prayer? I know you can pray it. And don't tell me you can't. I was speaking at, the, at a gathering and it was right across the street from the Academy of Sciences in Moscow, Russia. And an atheist scientist came across the street and came into the meeting. And at the end of the meeting... He waited and he waited and he waited and I had a chance to speak to him and we spoke together and he said, everything that you said makes sense, but we've been told not to believe in God, that God does not exist, that God is dead. How can I be convinced? And I said, well, let me give you one tip right now. I cannot do it. If that were true, then I would, I would have to agree with your leaders. There is no God. If I can sell you on God, then I would say there is no God. But if God, who says he's real, will answer an open and willing heart and mind, you go home and you ask him. And that guy asked me, he said, can I, are you, really? I said, you go home now and you ask him. And I never saw that man again. But I'm wondering if I'll bump into him in heaven. God's answering. Here's a quote. If it blesses you or not, here's a quote. There's a great liberty in surrendering to the will of God. We have also been left a great example of what it is like to surrender to the will of God in the most impossible situations. Jesus gave us the ultimate example. We do not need to figure the issue out on our own. Rather, Jesus himself gives us the greatest prayer that could ever have been offered up. It is simply this. Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. We always associate that prayer with the end of life. And I get it. That's one of Jesus's, if not his last words. In, into your hands, I commend my spirit. And Jesus yielded up the spirit. But how about now in life? 
How about now us adopting that prayer every day of our Christian lives, starting this moment forward? Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. So what does that mean? That means whatever happens today, that's God's business. Tomorrow morning, when you get up, Father, before your feet hit the ground, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit, and then put your feet on planet Earth. Think about it, because you've been laying in a bed. You haven't been on Earth. You've been in your Mike Lindell, my... (laughs) My, my mattress, my pillow. And you just, you go from that into my slippers. And, uh, and, you, and you say, you say, Lord, into your hands, I commend my spirit. And then after that, whatever goes on, goes on. Who cares? It's in the hands of God. It's in the hands of God. He's answering. He's always answering. The Holy Spirit's work. Verse 27, now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is. It's not the Holy Spirit's mind. It's your mind. So very quickly, Psalm 139, verse 17. How precious. Oh, some of you need to hear this. You know, listen, the psalmist wrote this. Israel needs to hear this today. Thank you for praying, by the way, for Thursday. We're going to try it again, I think. But before I read this Psalm 139, look, if it flops, it was my idea. If it succeeds, it was God's idea. But he woke me up about a week and a half ago. I believe he woke me up. I didn't hear anything audibly. I just had a bizarre thought in my mind in the middle of the night. And it was this. Preach my word to my people. And then, then I was awake. And I said, Lord, how have I failed you? God, I've been working hard at that for 35 years. How have I failed you? How am I not preaching your word? And then I felt, you know what I'm talking about, people. I didn't hear the voice. Christians know what I mean. You don't need to hear the voice. You feel the voice. Boom. Preach my word to my people. Immediately I got it. I got to find a Jew. (laughs) No, really. I got to find, I've got to find a Jew who's a brother, right? A Messianic Jew who can speak Hebrew to translate from English into Hebrew to reach the Jewish people in the world. And so we did that. I asked you to pray Wednesday night. We did that on Thursday. And uh, I need to check to see if if God's blessing it or not. But it was like witnessing on the streets in Spain or in Russia or in, in Germany where you'd speak a few words and then the translator would speak in Hebrew and I'd speak a few words in that, all from the Old Testament. And I wanted to keep it short because, listen, the Jewish people are precious, but uh, they're, they don't sit for an hour like you guys do in a message. They just don't do it. They just don't do it. And then, then they're, not hard to, they're not hard to keep uh, their attention. But I'm, I'm trusting God. Lord, speak to your, speak to your people. And so we stepped out. And again, I don't know what became of it. We'll check and see. But if God blessed it, then it's him. And then we'll do that again. But the the point is this. It's the psalmist who was a Jew, who was a Hebrew, who said way back then, how precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. That not only is true for you, the Gentile today, but for the Israeli people, for the Hebrew people. Listen, it's for all peoples, Gentile and Hebrew alike. Here's the thing. Will you make him your God? He wants to be your God. Isaiah said that the Gentiles will seek the God of Israel. How precious are your thoughts toward me, O God? How great is the sum of them? If I should count them, they would be more than the number than the sand. When I awake, I'm still with you. Oh, man. How about this? Very popular verse, Jeremiah 29, 11 to 13. For I know the thoughts. This is God speaking, friend. Listen, if you're down in the dumps right now, if you're fighting depression, 
Here, I have an injection for you. Let's, let's put this IV drip in. Okay, and it's free. God says to you, I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord. Thoughts of peace. And not of evil. To give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and go and pray to me and I will listen to you. And you will seek me and find me when you've searched me for me with all of your heart. His word says that he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Psalm 139 verses 1 through 6 says, O Lord, you have searched me. Hey, that sounds like Romans. You've searched me and known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thought afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all of my ways. Doesn't that sound like Romans? For there is not a word in my tongue, but behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You have hedged me. I love that. You've hedged me behind and before. Get squished by God. You know, I gotcha. And laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain to it. Psalm 103, verse 10. He has not dwelt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far have I removed our sins from us. As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. The word fear, don't panic. It means to be in awe of him. It doesn't mean to be scared. For he knows our frame and remembers that we are dust. <laughs> so good. Isaiah 53, 12. Therefore, I will divide him a portion, speaking about Messiah, with the great. And Messiah shall divide the, por- the spoil with the strong, because Messiah poured out his soul unto death. And Messiah was numbered with the transgressors, and Messiah bore the sin of many, and made, oh, there's our word, intercession for the transgressors. Hebrews, and we're almost done. Hebrews 5, verse 7. Who, in the days of his flesh, he, Messiah, had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to whom he was able to save him from death and was heard because of his godly fear or awe. Though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. You know how you're learning about God, friend? By the things that you suffer. And having been perfected or made complete, this is Christ in the flesh, he became the author of eternal salvation to those who obey him. Isn't that awesome? I want to give you a quote by John Locke. I'm a fan of John Locke. Um, He's amazing. But look at this quote. John Locke. The people have no other remedy in this. He's talking about from his two-volume set of governance. uh, The people who have no other remedy in this, as in all other cases where they have no judge on earth, but to appeal to heaven. John Locke was talking about when everything breaks down in government of this earth, remember this, the believer can always appeal to heaven. In fact, we want to show you the flag. See that flag? Appeal to heaven. Uh, It depends on the time of the year. I have that flag hanging on my house. Depends on what's happening. That's an awesome thing. By the way, real quick, side note. I know know you have nowhere else to go today. So... um, George Washington, as general, they, those guys had all grown up reading John Locke. And George Washington, when he examined the fact that we were about to go up against the greatest military of power in the face of the earth, England, John, uh, George Washington remembered this. It's in his own writings. And he says, I want a flag struck to be flown everywhere. Take the Liberty Tree that Sam Adams started in Boston. That's a cool idea. Take the liberty tree and slap it on a flag and put this, what John Locke said, an appeal to heaven. That's the only way we can win is if we appeal to heaven. 
And Washington had that struck and put up everywhere. Did you know that? You should have known that. If you go to school here, you'd know that. Isn't that awesome? Listen, church, you can always appeal to heaven at all times. I don't think we appeal to heaven enough. We need to appeal to heaven more and more. And then I'll just leave you with this. In Exodus chapter 3, verse 13, Moses said to God, Indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, Listen, before I say anything more, didn't we just go through this a few weeks ago about his name? I made a comment in that sermon of a few weeks ago that, and you know, all the, all the ser- Sunday messages are all the, we teach from the same book, but the sermons are all different, depending on first, second, and third. And I don't know which one I said this in, but I, 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 gave, I gave challenge to the fact that if you're a Muslim, you can't, you can't tell me the name of your God. And you, I asked you, what is the name of the God of Islam? And you said, Allah. And I said, I'm sorry, I can't hear you. What is the name of the God of Islam? What is his name? And you said, Allah. And I asked you a third time if you were in that particular service. Clearly, by the looks of your face, it wasn't this service. (laughs) And I said, no, I'm asking you as a Muslim, what is the name of your God? Stop telling me God. What's his name? Because you see, in Arabic, Allah is the word for God. There are a lot of gods. Last night, there were a lot of God worshipers at the Grand Prix. It's true. Whoever your God is, is your predominant thought. Whoever your God is, is your predominant appetite. It's your, pre- it's your prevailing desire. Is it money? Is it, is it surfing? Is it golfing? Is it whatever? What is it that, oh boy, I can't wait. Fill in the blank. That's a God. Could be Titleist, could be Ferrari, could be rocking chair, I don't know. Could be in and out, you know, that's at least at least that one's got Bible verses on it. Anyway. Anyway. Church, let's stand. It's this. Let's stand. It's this. God says, Moses, you tell them I am that I am sent you to my people. And the Tetragamatron is this. The name of God is not only the root Yah to salvation, that word, but the Tetragamatron, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, is also the meaning of the becoming one. So today, for my life personally, I need direction. I pray to Yah, who is my El, who is my God. Yah is his name. Okay, you tracking? And I'm seeking him for guidance. And I pray in his name. You are seeking him today, God, for something in his name. God is who he is. He has a name. Because you're God, you know his name. You, you leave this building today, and as the doors open up, imagine, imagine as you leave in a moment, looking down from a drone. A drone looking down from this building. The doors open up, and thousands of people start going out through the doors. Heaven sees it. There's a great cloud of witnesses. Yay, there they go. Let's see what they do. And hell from beneath sees it. Who knows, maybe even demons are driving down the street. Can you imagine? A bunch of demons. I just, I'm sorry, I see them in a low rider kind of car. There's, there's smoke billowing out of the window crack. And there's demons, like 10 demons and one old Cadillac going by. 
and you go out of this room knowing the name of your God and that he's listening to you and that you're on your way to heaven. And just by you leaving, you can start seeing like invisible snowballs. You can start seeing the car getting dented up and they got to roll the window up and speed away because so much light is about to leave this building. Father, we pray, dear God, spoil these people with your goodness, with your affection, Lord. Target them to be recipients of your grace abounding all this week. We pray, Father God, that everything that comes to them, good, bad, or undetermined, they would all see that it's been father-filtered. And Lord, that they would rejoice in the boldness that the Holy Spirit's praying for them, Jesus is praying for them, and heaven is listening. We pray in Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you. See you Wednesday night.